clouds, the vertical finger hills, umber and green. Moira had invited him down to Berengaria's Estancia in Sonora, but he had wanted to get farther away from civilization, so they had met up at this resort on the west coast of Thailand, and here they had spent the last three days and nights. During that time, Moira had explained what she was doing in Sonora with the sister of the late drug czar Gustavo Moreno. The two women had asked for his help, and he had agreed. Moira said time was of the essence, and after hearing the details, he had agreed to leave for Colombia tomorrow. Three police were coming down the beach. They wore suits, but there was no doubt as to their identity. They were coming for Bourne. Without hesitation, he waded into the surf. He needed to get them away from Moira and Berengaria because Moira would surely try to help him and he didn't want her involved. Just before he dived into an oncoming wave, he saw one of the detectives raise his hand, as if in a salute. When he emerged onto the surface, far beyond the surf line, he saw that it had been a signal. A pair of Wave Runner FZRs were converging on him from either side. There were two men on each, the driver and the man behind him clad in scuba. These people were covering all avenues of escape. As he made for the parole, a small sailboat close to him, His mind was working overtime. From the coordination and meticulous manner in which the approach had been made, he knew that the orders had not emanated from the Thai police, who were not known for either. Someone else was manipulating them, and he suspected he knew who. There had always been the chance that Severus Domna would seek retribution for what he had done to the secret organization. But further speculation would have to come afterward. First, he had to get out of this trap and away to keep his promise to Moira to ensure Berengaria's safety. Within a dozen powerful strokes, he'd come to the parole, hoisting himself over the side. He was about to stand up when a fusillade of bullets caused the boat to rock back and forth. He began to crawl toward the middle of the boat, grabbing a coil of nylon rope. His hands gripped either gunnel. The wave runners were closer when the second fusillade came, their violent wakes causing the boat to dance and shudder so violently it was easy for him to capsize it. He dived backward over the side, arms pinwheeling as if he'd been shot. The pair of wave runners crisscrossed the area around the overturned boat, their occupants looking for the bobbing of a head. When none appeared, the two scuba divers drew down their masks and, as the drivers slowed their vehicles, tumbled over the side, one hand keeping their masks in place. Completely invisible to them, Bourne was treading water under the overturned boat, the trapped air sustaining him. But that respite was short-lived. He saw the columns of bubbles through the transparent water as the divers plunged in on either side of the boat. Quickly, he tied off one end of the nylon rope to the starboard cleat. When the first of the divers came at him from below, he ducked down, wrapped the cord around the diver's neck, and pulled it tight. The diver let go of his spear gun to counter Bourne's attack, and Bourne ripped off his mask, effectively blinding him. Then he grabbed the spear gun as it floated free, turned, and shot the oncoming second diver through the chest. The water was dark, hazy with a gout of blood. The dead diver hung in the mist, arms out to the sides, fins pointing straight down into darkness. Bourne was in the midst of turning when the nylon rope looped around his neck and was pulled tight. The first diver drove his knees into the small of Bourne's back while he hauled on the rope from both sides. Bourne tried grabbing at the diver, but he swam backward out of the way. Though it was clamped shut, a thin line of bubbles trailed from the corner of Bourne's mouth. The rope was cutting hard into his windpipe, 
holding him below the surface. He fought the urge to struggle, knowing that this would both pull the rope tighter and exhaust him. Instead, he hung motionless for a moment, like the diver not three feet away, twisting in the current, playing dead. The diver pulled him close as he drew his knife to deliver the coup de grace across Bourne's neck. Bourne reached back and pressed the purge button on the regulator. Air shot out with such force it caused the diver to loosen his mouth, and, with a thick plume of bubbles, Bourne tore the regulator free. The cord loosened around his neck. Taking advantage of the diver's surprise, Bourne freed himself. Turning, he tried to pinion the diver's arms, but his adversary drove the knife toward his chest. Bourne knocked it away, but as he did so, the diver wrapped his arms around Bourne's body so he couldn't surface to get air. Bourne pressed the diver's octopus, the secondary regulator, into his mouth and sucked air into his fiery lungs. The diver scratched.